Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. everyone and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. It's your girl Jacqueline alongside one of my favorite people on the internet and in person, Mr. Mark Ellis. How you doing, sir? Hey, look at that. Wow. I got I don't know why I got the glowing intro, Jacqueline. Do, <laughs> do I owe you money or something? What 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 exactly are we okay now? You did help me get my Twitter unhacked, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that too. I'm very glad that it happened. That was actually one of my favorite things that happen too, because Mark unlocks his Twitter and then 10 seconds after I start roasting him about the commanders because I learned, which I did not know that only uh-huh. 27 or 28 percent of people that live in the Washington, D.C. area support your team. Okay, which, first of all, that number is 29 percent. Thank you. Excuse me, 29 percent. <laughs> yeah. When, when you watch our home games, you can really tell uh, how little of a fan base we have left because it's packed with opposing fans. And so hopefully we rectify that this year with, uh, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to stay optimistic until the season starts. Look, look, hopefully, you know what? Stranger things can have happened. Ah, get it? Oh, that was so oh great. Oh my God, the queen of transitions. I'm sorry, I had to, I, I was so excited about that one in my head, I couldn't even enjoy it. Like I couldn't <laughs> even like let it lay. I'm just so happy about it. But yes, that's because this week, We are going to turn the world upside down, ladies and gentlemen, as we break down seasons one through three of Stranger Things. That's because the first half of season four premieres this month, May 27th, and season five is supposedly to be the last. But looking at the Netflix stock price, I think they might keep those kids limping into way past post-college because overall, (laughs) this is a huge success for Netflix. 93% fresh on the tomato meter, 91% average on the audience score. Season one, 97, 96, season two, 94, 90, and then season three pulling up the rear at 89, 86. Still so incredible. And we have a guest along with us today. I feel like he's straight out of Hawkins. Like, I feel like he really could wear one of those shirts. Like, he feels very much at home, I feel, with uh, with our Stranger Things crew. This is Eric Striffler. He's the creator and host of Pretty much it. Check it out on his YouTube channel. It's a hilarious movie and TV commentary show. Maybe he gets an assist by somebody that's very familiar to the pod named Mr. Brian Pettis. We'll talk about that later. Eric, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well. And yeah, go Tigers. Go Hawkins Tigers, baby. Uh, I wish I had a, a Hawkins Tigers shirt right now. I don't. Last time I was on for the Mummy episode, I had a whole wardrobe thing planned, and I, I don't have that this time, unfortunately. But I'm very excited to be back uh, talking Stranger Things especially because I... Uh, I feel like um, I feel like 
it's going to be an interesting discussion. I, I have some uh, some thoughts and opinions on the seasons that might differ. So very excited. Wow. Are you going to be loading up the hot take cannon? Because listen, I, I don't know. <laughs> might be. Wow. We'll see. Eric's always good for a hot take, Jacqueline. And, and here's what I love about Eric the most <laughs> is that when when Eric started out and really when Stranger Things started out, I always looked at Striffler as like one of the kids on the bikes who's looking for their <laughs> friend Will Byers. And now, Eric, you find yourself in the position of being like one of the older kids that isn't like the the adult yet, but you're also not one of the core kids. So you're just kind of that guy that floats around in a van around town. And we're not yeah. sure if we can trust you or not. I was going to say I've upgraded from a bike to a van. Still hunting for uh, for kids, though. <laughs> <laughs> in the woods, you oh, know, whatever. Wherever I you love, can find love, them. love, love, yeah, love, love exactly. that. <laughs> well, let's get down to it. Eric, is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about the season scores of Stranger Things. Uh, and is it right to have that ranking, one, two, three, with one being the top, three being the bottom? Where do you feel the ranking should be? And do you feel the scores are right? Uh, no, I feel it's the exact opposite. I think that each season is better than the last with uh, this. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say it's better than the last. I think that the second season is really not great. But I think that the third season is, without a doubt, the best season of the show. And so I'm not surprised that it's it goes in order one, two, three, going lower each time, just because that feels, for something that's generally well-received, that just feels like a common thing that would happen anyway. Um, but I do think, personally, that the third season is absolutely the best season of the show, even though the kids are getting older, which I think even works against the show. And the fact that it's still good makes it even more impressive. Yeah, no, I, I I think the show is always improving, but I think like with anything, as somebody who rarely, even the shows that I love, you'll hard press to get me to watch past season four of The West Wing, and I've seen that <laughs> show probably a hundred times. I like earlier episodes of shows because if people know the logistics and realities of creating television, that's sort of like the first couple of years in like a political White House. It's like the, the dream team starts everything off and then they slowly splinter off to do other things. Alec Berg eventually does leave Seinfeld and he goes and does his thing. You know, that's sort of the thing that happens with television shows. But honestly, I think with Stranger Things, for the most part, they've kept, uh, they've kind of kept that core crew. So Mark, uh, let me ask you, is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about the scores? Like, do you uh, yeah, feel- Yeah, I, I don't know what you all are talking about. The, the first season of Stranger Things deserves to be where it is at 97% fresh, but I look at this overall average of 93% across the three seasons. That feels a little high for me because I agree with Eric that the second season is the worst of the three, and it really suffered from a sophomore slump to the point where, Jacqueline, this must have been you season five of The West Wing because I barely got through this season. I do feel like season three rebounded somewhat. 89% still feels a little high because I just thought they were leaning so hard into 80s nostalgia, and by that point, I just wanted a more fun story than just like, hey, here's what 7-Eleven used to look like. But I still enjoy... <laughs> the show. I'm very excited about the new season. I, I I can say that every season, I think, is fresh, although season two is like right at the 60% cut line for me. But uh, yeah, that first season really blew me away when I, like everyone else, had never heard about it, saw it was trending on Twitter, binged it in two nights, and was forever changed. Uh, before we get too deep into it, Mark, can you give us the who, what, when, where, and why of all that has happened in season in the seasons of Stranger Things, going back to season one as quickly as you can, sir? Um, this show is about kids. 
and adults that kind of act like kids sometimes. And when one of those kids named Will goes missing in season one, hell breaks loose in the small town of Hawkins, Indiana. And it turns out to be a lot more than just a missing kid because he is in this nether region called the Upside Down that features demogorgons and a whole lot of crazy, scary stuff. And that's basically who we're going up against for all three of these seasons so far. Luckily, we have an ace in the hole in the form of Eleven, played by Millie Bobby Brown, who has some supernatural telekinetic sort of powers. We're still figuring out how she got it. Why does her nose bleed all the time? And why is she so strong and powerful enough to defeat something like a Demogorgon? She has a surrogate father figure in uh, Sheriff Hopper, played by David Harbour. And he has a surrogate daughter because he lost his daughter tragically a few years before the events of the show. And as we've mentioned already multiple times, the show lovingly takes place in the 1980s. Remember the mall, everyone? Remember the mall? It was a <laughs> lot of fun to go to the mall. And that's Stranger Things in a nutshell. Yeah. Back when we had malls, the mall in my hometown is now a community college. <laughs> if you want to know how that economy is gone. Eric, Eric, are you too young to remember how exciting it was to have your your mom drop you off at the mall on Friday afternoon? I don't know if it's maybe just like a, a regional thing or not, but this it's funny because I was thinking in the back of my head, I still go to the mall. Mm, so maybe, wow. they're, maybe they're not by you guys anymore but yeah like the mall i grew up with is still here and and around the country is like if i need to go uh, clothes shopping or whatever i'll go to a mall so they're still there you got to look for them though they're like a diamond in the rough i guess <laughs> see all the malls i go to now are not really malls because they're not covered so it's like the grove or like topanga mm -hmm. like i guess technically that's a mall but if you have to have an umbrella to traverse it i don't consider that a mall i need fair. yeah there's a lot of I like open a, concept malls like yeah, i need that's a fair. like i need a food court and like you know the chance that you might get beat up somewhere this is not <laughs> happening around the corner from a total wine and you know a yeah. world market it's just different it's very different yeah. right it is Those different it is different anyway why don't we go ahead and see what tim ryan has to say about what the critics thought about these various seasons in our segment two minutes with tim brian cue the music two minutes with tim when it comes to both critics and audiences, the first three seasons of Stranger Things have been remarkably consistent. Here's a quick rundown. Season one of Stranger Things is certified fresh at 97% on the tomato meter with 91 reviews, and it has a 96% audience score. Season two is certified fresh at 94% with 150 reviews, and it has a 90% audience score. Season three is certified fresh at 89% with 140 reviews, and it has an 86% audience score. Overall, the series as a whole is fresh at 93% and it has a 91% audience score. So what do the critics have to say? In a fresh review for season one, Mary McNamara of the Los Angeles Times wrote, For the most part, and in absolute defiance of the odds, Stranger Things honors its source material in the best way possible, by telling a sweet and scary story in which monsters are real, but so are the transformative powers of love and fealty. However, in a rotten review for season three, Tori Preston of Pajiba wrote, Stranger Things 1 and 2 offered cohesive stories that surpassed the weaknesses of some of the parts, whereas Stranger Things 3 had some truly outstanding parts that did not make up for the weakness of the overall story arc. So that's Stranger Things. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark, two people who are on a curiosity voyage and need a podcast to travel. Back to you, folks. I do love him. I would have loved it a little bit more if he would have sang the theme to Never Ending Story, but... Way to go, Tim. I really appreciate that. Um, let's go ahead and start talking and breaking it down because there's a lot to digest here over three seasons of television. So oh, yeah. let's go ahead and move into the TV talk section. Brian, cue the music. 
got to like switch my brain a bit. We normally do movies, but now we're into TV talk. So (laughs) Mark, you kind of talked about it, but it legitimately was a phenomenon when it first came out. Um, Eric, when did you, when did Stranger Things come into your consciousness? Was it Comic-Con led you into it? Like, like how did you get excited for it? I, I, similar to what Mark said, I, I just saw that everyone was talking about it, I guess, or, you know, I think leading up to it, everyone was talking about it. Uh, so I caught it when it debuted on Netflix and it, and also like Mark said, that's a binge immediately kind of show. Uh, it was, it was kind of at the beginning of binging, whereas now you see a lot of, uh, the different streaming services actually switching back to weekly, which I personally prefer. I like to ruminate on these things and, and keep myself, you know, uh, uh, excited every week. But this was at the height of the binging phenomenon, really, I would say, or the dawn of it, at least. And I finished it, I want to say, in a day. I think me and my friends sat down and, like, through the day, roommates came in and were like, ooh, wait, what is this? Oh, I want to watch. And they just, like, came in at different episodes and then went back later. Um, But uh, I will say this, though, not to get too ahead of ourselves because we're talking about the first season, but the second season, I didn't watch until the third season was coming out because... I just, for some reason, wasn't hooked enough from the end of the first season to be excited about the second season. Uh, well, that's the situation with me, but that's just because I have issues. Um, Mark, <laughs> what about you? Um, that's legit. Like, even a show I like, it's sometimes hard for me to sit down to watch it if I feel anxious about what will happen. But that's okay, fair thing for another day. Mark, what about you? What are your season one reactions to Stranger Things? So I, I, this was sort of like my peak years of going to Comic-Con and covering everything that was announced at Comic-Con. I do not remember if Stranger Things had a presence at Comic-Con before season one, but I, I, the way I remember it, I never heard of this show. Literally never heard of this show. Don't remember seeing a trailer or anything for it until I was on the road at the Cincinnati Funny Bone, which technically I think is in Kentucky. And <laughs> I was... I, I did the show on Thursday. There's one show Thursday, two Friday, Saturday, one Sunday. So I do the show Thursday and I go back to my hotel room and I just start, you know, trolling around on Twitter and I see Stranger Things and everybody's talking about the show Stranger Things. And I'm like, oh, well, I have my laptop. I can watch Netflix. This is exciting technology. Let's fire it up. See what. And I fell in love with the feel of the show. I mean, we all know how I feel about children, but I like these kids well enough. And it was just the overall vibe that it was retro. It was spooky. It was funny. It was scary at points. And I just got so invested into the multiple storylines going on. It was nice to see somebody that I recognized like a Winona Ryder, but then it was also great to meet these new talents that were emerging on the scene. And that went, I loved the first season, and that carried me through the excitement of seeing them do a panel the next year at Comic-Con, previewing season two, and that trailer, everybody lost their minds, it was such a cool trailer. Um, but yeah, season one was a binge uh, for me, and I, I think I mixed, Eric. I like some shows that make us wait a week to watch the new one, but I also mm-hmm. like every so often just having that weekend where it's like, all right, let's just knock out everything Ozark has to show me. Yeah, yeah, there's Better Call Saul's good weekly. Bridgerton is good in a binge. Those there's differences. There that go, kind yeah. of vibe. Yeah, Bridgerton <laughs> is good in a binge. Sacrilegious. Oh, <laughs> hurt me. Stab me in the Vivaldi. Why don't you? You're trying to keep it dragging out. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will discuss like your thing with the the Greatest Showman and musicals. I also have too. But my love affair with romance novels is deep and unabiding fair. and, and, yes, and yeah, like it's a thing. Uh, one thing I will say about Stranger Things in the early seasons, which the secondary seasons I feel have not as created, is in the early seasons, it was Erica, it was Barb. It was so many side characters that made people fall in love with the show 
more so than the actual leads. Like the leads are rather insufferable, if I'm being honest. Like in <laughs> I'm just being honest. Like privileged kids from Indiana is a really hard time for me to be like, yay, you are struggling. Sorry, I just didn't get it. But when they had like Erica make fun of them, I loved that. When you had Barb being like, oh my God, we're in your teen angst drama and I'm just going to be your best friend and I don't want to be. Like I loved all of the sort of I would say modern sentiments or just sort of like meta commentary on on this stuff more than anything else. So I think those were the things about the early seasons that I really, really, really loved. And I think that's what made me forgive some of the more like I would say this is um, something so nostalgic is going to feel like it's from a different time and it will get boring unless they have characters like that or moments like that. Which makes me think like one of my favorite, I don't have a favorite episode, but one of my favorite moments in the entire thing was I think episode one, season two, when um, it was, I guess it was, I want to say that they were arguing about who got to play Venkman and they wanted to give the black kid Winston. And as every black kid who only had to play the black kid in Power Rangers and every other show, mm-hmm. I felt that so deep in my soul. I was like, oh, y'all got black people in the Stranger Things writer room for season two. Because that's exactly what that is. Like nobody who hasn't lived that didn't feel that. So that to me was one of my favorite moments, episodes all together. Why can't there just be two Vankmans? Because there's only one Vankman in real life. We planned this months ago. I'm Venkman, Dustin Stans, you're Egon, and you're Winston. I specifically didn't agree to Winston. Yes, you did. I don't think he did. No one wants to be Winston, man. What's wrong with Winston? What's wrong with Winston? He joined the team super late. He's not funny, and he's not even a scientist. Yeah, but he's so cool. If he's cool, then you be Winston. I can't. Why not? Because... Because you're not black? I didn't say that. You thought it. What about you, Eric? Favorite, Favorite episode, favorite moment, what do you got? Well, if we're just talking season one, I, I would say that the... Oh, no, uh, overall. overall. Oh, overall, okay. Because I was going to say, well, in season one, uh, favorite w- w- favorite thing I can think of really is the uh, the waffles, the introduction of the waffles. Uh, the the whole, you know, like when she's in the store, you know, and whatever, and gets the waffles. Because I personally uh, was very impressed with, yeah, they're doing an 80s nostalgia thing, but they did actually create something iconic and it felt like that scene, like just her, you know, her outfit, you know, you saw it at Halloween, you still see it at Halloween, her outfit, the shaved head, the waffles, the whole deal feels like something. Still, if I go back and watch that, it feels like something that we're seeing a remake of that actually is from the 80s. It feels like they're doing their take on something that actually was from the 80s. And I find that to be extremely impressive when you can do 80s nostalgia, but make your own thing and have it feel genuinely like an old school thing. I find that very impressive. And I feel like that was the most iconic, uh, most iconic, you know, kind of visual uh, from the first season. And again, the first season's not really my favorite. So, you know, the, the the favorite parts I have are more are things like that. I would say overall, the the ending of season three had to be my favorite. I think that the big fight in the mall was just the the best. I don't know where they go from here. I really think it was that good. I don't know where they go from here. I think they peaked and I'm very curious to see what comes next, but it was an incredible finale that now apparently is only the middle of the story. So I guess we'll see what happens there. I'll tell you where they go, Eric. Where they go in season four is no supernatural entities whatsoever. They just figure out puberty. Like that's the only thing that is facing them. I think they figured it out a lot. These kids are are like 20, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's like the cast of 90210 when they were all like 35 playing, you know, sophomores in high school. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 
I, w- w- what I do love about this show, I'm full disclosure, I do a show called Versus, which you can enjoy on Peacock. Um, and I'm writing Stranger Things versus Cobra Kai. And it's funny because Ooh. Cobra Kai like takes place in modern day, but it has a lot of 80s nostalgia. This show takes place back in the 80s and it's reminding us how much fun we had. But I agree with Eric's point that this show, it does, you know, sometimes it relies too heavily on, hey, look at how fun the 80s were. But most of the time, it really sticks the landing. And for me, my favorite episode in season one and overall is the bathtub is the name of the episode. And that's basically where it's towards the end of the season. It's the seventh episode. And this is where we get the warning from Lucas that agents are about to come search the house. And so we have to go on this like E.T. feeling adventure. And Eleven is using her uh, telepathy to like flip vans. And then later on in the episode, she's kind of sensing what's going on the upside down. She can confirm Will is alive, which is like a huge thing. And Barb is not alive. And that sucks for Barb. Um, Justice for Barb. (laughs) But then we also get to see some some fun Demogorgon action. We also get to watch Hopper and Joyce uh, team up as they're trying to break into the lab unsuccessfully, though it may be. It's fun to watch their chemistry. But the overall feeling of this is, I think, exactly what the Duffer brothers were going for when they created the show. And that's to make us feel the way that we all felt when we were kids seeing E.T. levitate bikes for the first time. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah, listen, I will also say too on the whole like where we end up with like just how crazy the magic and crazy how the special effects get. I did give Stranger Things a lot of crap for their price tag, but the later season's effects compared to the first season is just kind of astounding. Oh, and the yeah. fact season that we're three is unbelievable. To... It, it, it actually makes the first two look bad. <laughs> yes. And so the fact that we're able to do that on television, I am, of course, being like facetious in it. That price tag will always have me be like, this is not Game of Thrones. Like, they got to make swords. I get that. You know what I mean? But like, you know. Whatever. Yeah. Also, you think the sword budget is more than it, it is more than it costs to put a replica RC Cola in a 7-Eleven? Yeah. Yeah, because you've got to get that right. And they make <laughs> dragons over there, too. Like, let's be real. Like, they you all have dragons. this. <laughs> no. But let's be honest. They also, like, if the Stranger Things season five just doesn't end up being the last season of Game of Thrones, they win. So, like, we're good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The yeah. other thing, too, and Eric, you sort of spoke and touched on this, is this idea of the first season of Stranger Things really felt like, to your point, a period piece. It felt like a movie made within the vein and within the sentiment, as if the Duffer Brothers were creating something that could have been created right alongside Amblin and those early sort of like um, days of that, uh, of that sort of nostalgia, or I would say the nostalgia that we live in now was created in that time. And this, Mm -hmm. and those first seasons, 
later seasons feel like throwbacks. Later seasons feel much more like we have more modern sensibilities and we are definitely calling back to this thing, but we are no longer trying to create it with that sort of Amblin-esque uh, vibe and that yeah. sort of- it, 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 It's not emulating it anymore. You're right, as it goes on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and when you look at something, which it shouldn't, because again, they're trying to branch out and create their own things. But if you look at something like the Adam Project, that is a complete and simple thing that lives within that one space. And that's what the first season of Stranger Things is. And I'm not going to lie to you, as they get further away from the things that they idolize and are trying to comment on, that's, I think, where they get in a little bit of trouble with the storytelling and it and it doesn't. I think work as well, which then leads some of us to like say, which are the moments that we like less. And I think for me personally, there's one episode that a lot of people like come against is the lost daughter. Uh, Mark, how I was going to say, are we going to all agree on this? <laughs> I don't think so. Cause I actually liked that episode. Oh, I, did okay. not, I did not understand the whole thing about hating it. Other than I think people are impatient and they were binging, but that's my theory first. So Eric, you just like the lost daughter. I'm guessing. Yeah, well, yeah, sorry, not to, not to butt in because you're going to ask Mark there. But yes, okay, I will say uh, it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, it uh, I, it's my least favorite because it comes, it literally interjects at like the peak of the action. We're about to have the Demogorgons attacking everybody. We're waiting for, we know that, Sean, uh, what's his face, uh, Aston, what's his name? Is it Sean Aston? I, I forget his, the actor's name always. But um, he's Sean about, Aston, we know yeah. he's, yeah, he's about to bite it. We know it's coming. He's been the whole show. He's been like, I love being alive and we know he's never going to live. So uh, we, we're, it's like, you're excited, you're ready. And then it cuts to this thing with Eleven, which uh, it, it, the thing is, I actually, and this is maybe, here's the hot take. Uh, Brian, can we play the hot take music? Great, thank you. Um, I, <laughs> here's the hot take. Um, I don't think Eleven really matters anymore after season one. I I, I feel like they're Ooh. shoehorning her in pretty much at this point. Maybe in season three, it got better. In season two, keep in mind, they keep her away from the crew the whole time because if she was there, it's like Captain Marvel. If she was there, they'd already win. All she has to do is just show up and do her thing, the same thing she did in season one. So the fact that she already felt sort of like irrelevant to the show at that point, and they gave her a whole episode with these middle-aged guys that are for some reason like hanging out with kids as outcasts or whatever. Millie Bobby Brown is like 14 and there's like 30, 40 year old men and they're like, we're the freaks. Yeah, you are freaks. You are freaks. Get away from her. Um, that whole thing, I just didn't care for it. And then at the end of the, or maybe the beginning of the next episode, it gets right back to where we were at the beginning of it. And I'm like, yeah, just, we didn't even need to watch it. Just cut it. Forget it. <laughs> See, I, I, I liked having, I liked having Eleven and Hopper's relationship, like, grow, like, I like seeing that father-daughter stuff expand, and I think that it, it's an interesting point you make, because I still feel like Eleven is necessary to the show, but her powers were so overwhelmingly new and supernatural feeling in season one that it's, it's sort of like, all right, now, where do we go from here? And that's why I feel like season two took such a dip down, but then we did rebound pretty well with season three. Her yeah. powers are much cooler in season three than ever before because yeah. yes. season one and two, all she does is scream with her hand up, the end, that's it. In season three, she's throwing the Demogorgon around the room and it's the coolest thing and they, it's like they finally figured, out, uh, figured it out. It's yeah. like a Jedi. It's 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 like Luke Skywalker gets his ass kicked by the Rancor if he's fresh <laughs> off the you know rescuing the princess and blowing up the Death Star in the first Star Wars. But it's the Jedi training. Kick it in, man. I'm telling you, Jacqueline. Yeah. This is th th this is what this show is predicated upon: is learning your powers and figuring out how to get into college. Yes, and I will say that <laughs> you're muted, sweetheart. Oh shoot, sorry. 
I was just about to say, well, it's because of the dog. I didn't want you to I hear know. the dog having you know, a whole yeah, conver um, conversation doggy. with He's you. Excited. Uh, I was just going to say, though, uh, not going to say it's completely whatever, but this idea of, you know, training your senpai, it's like a bit on the nose, honestly, in like 80s, whatever. I was more enjoying the more tender, heartfelt moments, like David Harbour writing a letter about keeping the door open. Like, that's where this mm -hmm. thing really hits. Yeah, yeah. Hits really good. And everything that, that doesn't, I feel it isn't. But no, not the lost daughter. She's still important. And for moments, like I just said, I do feel she is the data character from Star Trek The Next Generation. She is the Spock character from the original series. It's this idea of a very highly intelligent, probably one of the most powerful people in the crew, also being in some ways the most vulnerable because their lack of human interactions and experiences. I love that idea of a character. It gives them so many more interesting places to go. That's what The Lost Daughter was. That was something that had never been given a chance for individuality, been given individuality. Because remember, she just went from her father's control to a group. That was the first time she got to actually be some of herself. And I think that is important. I, I do think that it's not a wasted episode. I just think if you put it in the middle of where it was. Yeah. And people are binging, <laughs> they're going to be upset. But if that wasn't a show that you didn't binge, I don't know if it would have been um, the same sort of whatever. Mark, what about you? What's your like least favorite aspect of the series overall? I think my least favorite aspect of the series is when... It, it does feel like we're just filling time. I, I, I don't feel like the this the episode we we're just talking about was necessarily the worst culprit in that. But I even feel like as much as I love the end of season three and that battle at Starcourt Mall was just so epic and expansive. I did. I, I felt the the length of it and it just, it felt like we were we have, you know, all this money to spend now. So why not just throw everything at the wall and it just didn't feel as as clean from a storytelling standpoint. I think it just got a little too bloated for its own good and a little too reliant on how much we did love them all. Having said that, <laughs> there are still a lot of things that I liked in in Eric's favorite episode, which which is not limited to the fact that we're we're having this battle while there's a bunch of theater goers inside a movie theater watching Back to the Future. Like it's yeah. a it's it's a really fun juxtaposition and yet another reminder as to exactly what time period we're in. No, that is that was a very cool pull. It very much felt very Twister. Remember Twister mm -hmm. when they're oh, watching yeah. The Shining and the t the tornado hits. It felt very oh, that yeah. when I was watching it. Uh, so characters, I think I, I definitely go ahead and say, Eric, I don't think uh, uh, Eleven's going to be yours, but who's your favorite and who are your least favorite characters? Yeah, so the thing is, it's not that Eleven's my least favorite character so much as it just, and, and specifically in season two, it felt like they didn't know what to do with her and they, they just sidelined her because again, if she was there, they wouldn't have had any of the problems they were having because she just shows up and defeats the monster in the same way that she did in season one, uh, which I didn't care for myself. I, I thought that it was a little bit... Um, you know, like uh, convenient, I guess. In season three, it felt much more natural. So Eleven, uh, not my least favorite character um, by any means uh, overall, but in season two. So I'll, I'll stick with her just just because that's easier than, than thinking of somebody else right now. My favorite character, I honestly think, is Billy. I mentioned it before. Um, Billy, who, of course, I'm devastated that... Well, it seems like there might be something with him because we see a little tease, you know, you never know. But um, but obviously he he died and I, I cried my eyes out. I'm a little baby boy. I cried when he died in season three. Um, season two, his introduction was very interesting because if you remember, I didn't know what exactly they were going with 
Uh, they didn't make it really clear at, at first. Um, I was I was iffy on the character because in season two, he was looking at um, the only black character in the show and saying, stay away from him. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, so this is a, a racist character. We don't like him, obviously. Turns out that wasn't necessarily what he was all about. They picked maybe the wrong character for him to be pointing at, to you know, whatever. That's where my mind went. Um, but it turned out that he had a lot more going on to the point where he got some backstory in season three that was very impressive. And yeah. uh, and I and the thing is, I remember thinking in season two we got we got a lot of backstory of Eleven, and I was like, there's another character here that we need more backstory from. And then they kind of answered my answered my prayers there a little bit with him. Um, I think he's my favorite because he went from the bottom to the top because at first I thought that he was like a really rotten character. And he, even though he was an adversary, obviously in season three, of course he was being controlled. It wasn't necessarily him. And I am hoping that somehow he shows up again. We'll see what happens. But I I think, uh, yeah, I got to go with him. I got to go with him. Well, who's your least favorite? I'm going to stick with 11, even though it's not technically appropriate, you know, whatever. I, a least favorite overall is hard to say, um, but but because of season two, I'm going to go with her. So specifically, 11 in season two is my least favorite. Not overall. I'm going to go with that. <laughs> okay. Mark, what about you? Face, uh, favorite and least. So my, I'll start with my least favorite. I don't know why I can't get behind a performance this guy's done in so long, but like, is something about the way Matthew Modine plays the character just bothers the crap out. I, I don't know what it, I, it's probably a me thing and not a Matthew Modine thing, but I just feel like he's over. I'm like, you've interviewed this man in my presence. The, just the, he's, and he's great in Vision Quest. He's great in Memphis Bell. But I just can't do him in The Dark Knight Rises. And maybe that transfers over to the way he plays Martin Brenner. I just can't I I can't get on board with this. So I was thrilled when Paul Reiser showed up as sort of like a way. Do we trust this adult kind of guy in season two? My favorite is so tough because I really find something that I can enjoy genuinely out of all of the, the main kid cast. But there's just something extra with Dustin. And Gaten Monterazzo plays him so well. But then when we also get to see the way that him and Steve sort of team up and in season three, that that's such that's so fun, even though it's very distracting to look at Joe Keery, who plays the character of Steve, because he might have the best head of hair like I've ever seen on a human in my life. Like the, his hair <laughs> is just it's so stupid, thick and full and just luscious. I'm like, it doesn't matter what science does for hair restoration. It's never going to be able to give you that head of hair. I don't know how that happened, but keep that lettuce, kid. It is it is just gorgeous. Yeah. No. I want to see you guys make shirts, by the way. It's not it's not a Matthew Modine thing. It's a me thing. It's a me thing. I, That's I a like good that. shirt. I mean, honestly, like we have so many other things to deal with on the podcast. But if ever we're sitting on an abundance of time, yes, a merch yeah. shop would definitely be a part of my thing. In fact, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, folks. If you guys think we should have merch, I think we do. Let us know at Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Email Lucy and be like, merch. We want merch. I want something that says the ketchup crew. I want something that says see y'all next time, y'all. And I want something. Mark, what's your catchphrase? His catchphrase is, you know how I feel about kids. Let's be clear. Uh, you did right. say that earlier. Dog stepfather. <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm, I'm babysitting Molly. Like, that's what the shirt can say or something. Yeah, it could just be Molly the Wonder Dog snoring, who, as we're recording this episode, is celebrating 
her 15th birthday. So happy oh, birthday to Molly the Wonder Dog. Yay! Um, the, the merch that we would make for Jacqueline is, and this is like merch that you can order and you can customize it however you want, but it's the blank of it all. Yes! So, <laughs> Jacqueline, like for me, our, our combined shirt would just be like, it's the Matthew Modine of it all. Yes, yes. <laughs> there you go. Actually, that is the thing. I will call publicists and be like, I need to talk about... Mm-hmm. the this of it all and it'll yeah, be like some aspect of the movie oh I love this so much anyway That's back great. on track just a moment <laughs> really clear before we have like this sidelined merch conversation which by the way I it will not even be a sideline it'll be a complete one I, I just want to add this my favorite characters are never really full characters because they get to just come in I love day players I love people that come in murder a scene just steal every inch of everything and then just watch as everyone else is just trying to. So Brett Gilman, who plays oh, the conspiracy yeah. Gary guy. Yes. Live, live, live. First of all, love him in everything. He's the yep. only American in Fleabag and just completely makes sense. Like that right there <laughs> is just incredible. The fact that he just shows up in that and is still one of the best parts. He's great in this. Uh, he has so many incredible movies. So he's up there. Erica is another one because yes, I just wish I was Erica when I was that age. I was not. I was very much like, hiding away. I was very more Will Byers who thought like Erica. Like I was just like kind of hiding away, reading my books, but I had the wit of Erica. So I love her. Least favorite character, Mike. Mike Wheeler, you are such trash. You are so Damn. whiny. Damn. You are so whiny. You are so annoying. You are so the worst versions of every boy that had your existence. Just be happy. <laughs> be privileged. Don't be mad. Do not, you do not get to be angsty, sir. Just get over it. Like, I'm just, I was so wow. over him. I was so over him in the last two seasons. He was every worst example of 13-year-old boys. I just, I hated him. And he was annoying and he was whiny and he was entitled and I just did not enjoy it. <laughs> Man, between you and me, we get Mike and Eleven are our least favorite characters and we're still watching the show. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, I did, I think a lot of our listeners and viewers did not expect to hear such slander against Mike and Eleven today. <laughs> I love you, Mike. I love you, Eleven. I know, Nadine, I mean, this yeah. is the thing. Him on his worst day, he's still fine. But when he whines, he whines. He just whines. I just, ugh. <laughs> uh. He also has one of those, th- like he, uh, more so I think than any of the other kids, suffers from the I'm growing up and I can't help it kind of thing. Yes, to where it's like, he, yeah. it, like, because it, like Dustin and Lucas, to a degree, still look, like they can they can pull off playing younger kids easier than Mike can. But yeah. Mike is luckily blessed with possibly the greatest marquee name of all time. Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> the name Finn Wolfhard and Millie Bobby yeah. Brown, I could enjoy saying those names out loud all day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I love Phil, uh, Finn Wolfhard because one of the things I absolutely love about him is he could have very much leaned into his teen heartthrob status, but he's very much like, no, I just like to make movies and play with my band. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he just seems, seems to be very about his own thing. So no, I love him. And I, I and honestly, if it was him as a 13 year old, I would follow that dude's entire life. I'm like, yeah, I want to hear more about you. Give me your angsty team drama. I can be with it and not hate you. Mike Wheeler is the worst. But I think <laughs> they're doing that on purpose because most of us are awful when we're teenagers. So it's completely yep. authentic in that respect. Does not mean it makes me, he makes my left eye twitch. <laughs> This is like legit, like without question, he makes my left eye twitch. I cannot change it other than that. There's so many other great characters, though. I love what David Harbour does. As I was the just going to say, dis- we got to get at least a runner dad. up. Yeah, yeah, no, Hopper is so, 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 I think, 
just doing his best and just trying. And I really love him and is doing his best just trying dad stuff because that to me is also real. And have you guys caught, by the way, all the, I don't know if you, you know, how deep you've dug into Stranger Things, but it is actually tied into Hellboy. And if you look really closely, you can see there are hints and nods to Hellboy throughout. And the thing is, as we get closer to the finale, it's going to cross over into Hellboy. I'm just saying, where is where's David Harbour right now? Hell, he went to hell at the end of season three, okay? He got blasted to hell. It's Russia. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's in Russia right now. <laughs> not going to say you're wrong about that. But also, let's be real. I think that's just David Harbour being friends with the Duffer Brothers and being like, we're trying to get a sequel. I'm just Ow! saying, listen, just keep an eye on that hand. That's all I'm saying. OK, Lord. I love the way we meet Hopper, though, in the in season one where he's just passed out and you got a bunch of beer cans everywhere. It's like we know exactly who this guy is. The role of playing that small town sheriff who is just trying to pass the buck of responsibility on to anybody else is great. Mm -hmm. And it would have been fun enough as a superficial character on that wavelength. But then when we get to know his backstory, it just it means so much more. And then we're rooting for him and we're rooting for Winona Ryder's Joyce just to find mm -hmm. some sort of happiness in their lives now because they've been through so much as humans and as parents that you just want him to have a fun date night where he gets to dress up as Magnum P.I. But see, here's, here's the conundrum for me is that I went back and I watched a couple episodes of season one of Stranger Things, and I remember the only real criticism of the show at the time was that they thought Winona, a lot of people said Winona Ryder's overcooking it. And I'm like, have you ever lost your kid in the Upside Down? When, when they start communicating by the Christmas lights, oh my God, what a moment that is. No, I thought that was absolutely perfect. And I think it actually showed... First of all, if the internet and pandemic proved us anything, I watched a lot of crazy people in the pandemic videos losing their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what what she goes through in the upside down ain't nothing. Well, I she's saw one together. <laughs> I've seen people have a stronger reaction about, you know, <laughs> walking with a mask in Whole Foods. Yeah. So like right. she's allowed to lose it a bit <laughs> over her child being disappeared and possibly murked yeah. by yeah. an ever-present being. Like, I'm okay with that one. I also, too, want to just say, like, the Duffer Brothers for, you know, they're loud, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you're Simone Biles, you get to walk with swagger. They got rejected. Thanks, Walt Kaufmeyer, for telling us. There are 37 network executives right now kicking themselves because they had Stranger Things and they turned it down. Yeah. I always say, though, the show that gets turned down is never the show that you see. The reason why... All the women turned down Pretty Woman was because it was a really dark, like she was addicted to drugs, horrible movie. That was not the Pretty Woman that we got to see. So the movies or the show that Stranger Thing was going to be when it got rejected was not necessarily what we get to see. But I love right. that these guys persevered and they made their they made their show. And also, I don't go to Stranger Things for subtlety. <laughs> I'm not watching it like, oh, I can't wait for this really subtle little drama. Like, no, I'm going for fireworks. And that's why I love the finale of season three. I got fireworks. Mm -hmm, exactly. <laughs> and look, I mean, they definitely, I think, care about nostalgia, but they also have made a lot of, I would say efforts to make this the most marketable things. Like, there are Stranger Things Doritos on the shelves right now, ladies and gentlemen, as we get ready for <laughs> season four. They have broken the mainstream. It just, it hits on a different level. So, Eric, where where are you on your anticipation level of season four? Are you rushing to it? Where are you at? So, I'm mixed uh, because I really do think that they, they did a great job wrapping up everything in season three. And it felt like, you know, Hopper's dead, Billy's dead, and it was like, 
it, it, just, it felt very final, you know what I mean? It felt like this could be an ending. And that's always a concern when you're like, this could be the end of something and then it continues. Uh, my favorite TV shows are the ones that end, that, that just end when they're supposed to end when they should, you know, um, The Leftovers, for example. Three seasons, we're done, that's it. Love that show. <coughs> Excuse me, don't need any more. We're on Better Call Saul final season right now. I don't need more. Let's wrap it up. Let's, make, let's keep it good. Mm. So I, unfortunately, I'm worried that we will have peaked at three, for me at least, peaked at three, and now maybe it's going to go down when it could have ended on top. Uh, but at the same time, I am very excited because I want to see what happens with um, Hopper. I want to see, I, you know, I, I don't watch trailers and stuff, but I've seen little things on social media. So I know that he's around. I know, you know, whatever. I know that Billy is alluded to here and there. So I'm excited for that. Uh, and the other reason I'm excited is honestly just to watch it with my buddy Miles. We we do commentary tracks over on Pretty Much It. And the most fun thing is is watching shows like this with my friends. And so I'm, I'm excited about the communal aspect of it. That's going to be really fun. It's still a fun event. Yeah, yes, it's, yeah. it's still it's an a event, fun event exactly. to, yeah. to talk about whether you're watching with people in person or you, you just get to tweet about it once you get back into your Twitter after it mm -hmm. got hacked. And <laughs> you, you look at what season four could give us. And what I'm really excited about is I think they are going to lean into the fact that these kids are so much older now than they were in the first Ranger things. I think they're going to have fun with that because as as older as they are, they're still kids and they're still trying to figure out their life and they're still trying to to navigate you know the, the waters of, of dating and getting good grades and trying to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your existence there's a lot of fun questions you could ask but the big issue i've had and i hope it gets rectified i don't i think this is going to take place in 86 i believe this next season mm -hmm. they haven't had not one that i've spotted van halen poster in any of the kids' rooms not one <laughs> van halen shirt I, I know that the music is expensive, y'all. I, I realize it's it's much more expensive than White Snake, but you gotta give me something, all right? 86 is when Hagar joined the band. You could easily have a 5150 poster or rec somewhere in the background. Yeah, how expensive it, is make the logo? Make me feel like it's there. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. basically what I'm looking for. That that that, that and, and just to see where, where the Duffer Brothers want to take this mythology leading into what we presume is going to be the final season, season five. This is sort of yeah. like the setup. But Eric, I feel like we we all get a mulligan after season two for me anyway. So I, I kind of strike season two from the record and I'm like, all right, this is really my season three of Stranger Things. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> strike season. Man, me, me and season two, I'm going to have to do a deep dive on just season two because there is shade abounding it. And it has literally some of my favorite moments, including the emergence of Erica, including all of, I think, every aspect of what we were able to see with all the characters that we didn't get more time with. So I was about it, even if you guys weren't. Uh, just some final things on Stranger Things. The one thing I will say with this is it has become a phenomenon. I'm so glad of what it's done. But now that it's reaching its swan song, and especially as it has been so synonymous with the success of Netflix, they had Squid Game, which is great. But I mm -hmm. wonder what is going to be the next English language show that captures the way that Stranger Things did. Bridgerton is its own thing, and it's true, but it's yeah. not the same as Stranger Things. Stranger Things no. was all-encompassing men, women, every demographic. I love Bridgerton, but ladies and the gays, we are making that show. And we are just dr dragging you straight boys along for the ride. Stranger Wait, Things. You, I, it's so funny you say that because I was talking, I was just doing commentary tracks for Bridgerton actually. And I was talking about how I love Benedict. I think he's 
he's extremely attractive. And I was like, ladies and gays. And I was like, wait, which category am I in? If I also yeah. think he's no, attractive. No, I mean, we are bringing y'all along for the ride. There are definitely I'm some here for straight it. men that are in here. But this this show was both created, and I'm not kidding you, by black women and gay men. When I tell you this is my stuff, this is my stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, but Sonda right, Rhymes and you're the creator right. Chris, gay man, black woman, gay man, we made this baby, and it is Bridgerton. Stranger it is not as all-encompassing, though. You are correct. I, no. I'll agree with that. I love Bridgerton, but I agree, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like Ozark is like too dark, even though like a lot of people kind of fallen for that show and like binged it when it comes out. The closest comparison just to the phenomenon that I remember season one of Stranger Things being when it came out that weekend was during the pandemic when everybody couldn't shut up about Tiger King. Exactly. But, you know, there I, I don't that's know. That's run its course, too, though. But that's so, run its course, too, like, and it can only have one. I mean, yeah. Petered yeah. out. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, too, because there's been several shows that peaked in the pandemic and they haven't been able to sort of mask that later. Uh, love is Blind, the second season, wasn't as good or as memorable. I have to be sa- sad to say, as much as I loved it, not as many people were, as, were about 365 days as I was, but I still live for well, it. I'm, I can't wait to watch the sequel. I'm watching that when I get to L.A. with a friend oh, as well. I'm ready. That's going to be so ridiculous. It's I do so enjoy bad. the circle. I do enjoy the circle from time the to time. circle, yeah. As but- some, some, some trash viewing. And, and I will say this. As great as, as as widely viewed as Stranger Things season three was, season three dropped, and Netflix very rarely reports any of their numbers because they're stored True. next to the Ark of the Covenant. But <laughs> season three, in its first month, got five hundred and like sixty million hours of of views. That is would be a record if not for Squid Game, which in its first month on Netflix did one point six five billion hours. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. 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 And that's and that's the kind of numbers you're talking about. And in truth, I don't think anything can rep, uh, replicate that, even Stranger Things. But no. that is it for our TV talk section. Let's go ahead and rip open the mailbag. Brian, cue the music. This is from the Ketchup Crew member, Robbie Miskimming. McSkimming. McSkimming. It sounds like a fun new sport. I like this. Robbie McSkimming. Sorry, sir. Thank you for the assist, Mark. Hey, love your podcast. I was wondering, could you ever cover the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, sir? Sir, are you watching YouTube channels right now on legal TV? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this might be the best time to do it, right? With the the SEO. Who who said? Who says? Who says? I will wait until there is less chum in the water, as they say. (laughs) But yes, I would like to cover Pirates of the Caribbean because fun fact what people don't know, I loved the first movie. I've seen it probably 60 times. I love, love, love that movie. I listen to the soundtrack. The rest of them I have loved moments. But the very first one, to me, you are perfect. And I I say that. I, I say loved that. it too. Yeah. Yeah. This one's a very I, I, special movie. I saw that one like twice in the theater. Like, like went like specifically twice to go see it. And I was like, you have to go see this. It's the greatest thing ever. And I had never even ridden the ride. I just liked the movie. Okay. See, the, the ride is boring now. Enough. Enough. Next. <laughs> I'm a theme park guy, so I love the oh, ride. Oh, you're a theme yeah. park person? Yeah, like, <gasps> Are you one of these Disney adults? Are you one of these no. people? Oh, I if anything, I'm more of so a universal much. adult, I guess, technically, because okay. I'm a universal pass holder. But okay. no, I uh, I, I, I love theme ride. parks. Mine, 
Mummy Ride is down for refurbishment right now, and we just hope yeah. that Brendan stays in it after. Oh man, you really longer. know. Okay, technically, I heard about this last time. <laughs> Make I'm, it oh, that's longer. right. That's right. I'm a Universal employee, and you know way more about that theme park than I do. It's actually yeah, really funny. Probably. We have guests coming into town, and my friend was like, "Well, what can you do?" And I was like, "I think I can get us into Universal." And they looked at me like I was such a like bad person for not telling them that I had free access to a theme park. And right, I was like, right, right. I was like, oh, yeah, you're some of those people. Yeah, it's pretty me. normal. If you like go to the movie theater there once a week, it's pretty normal that there's a theme park right there. Yeah. Or even <laughs> that, I just don't know if I was ever in a city with a theme park. So I will do European Disneyland just because I like to laugh at people or like uh, I've been to uh, Disney in Japan. I've been to Disney in France. I like that. Mm-hmm. Absent that, I don't want to see you at a theme park. I don't have the reason to go. Uh, no, that's Mark, a lot of work. Mark, what about you? What, how are you on the Pirates? I love the first one. The rest of them all run together. Uh, I think it was the first movie I saw when I moved to L.A. was Pirates wow. of the Caribbean. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Damn. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. When Eric was still a zygote. I was going to say I was in the I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> no, I will say, actually, that is, uh, uh, the. I think that's my first I mean, when did that, I realistically, that came out with like 2003. So I was actually, yeah. I was like 12. So I, I'd seen movies and stuff, but it might, it's my earliest memory of Johnny Depp, actually, I think. I don't know that I necessarily knew, wow. I'd seen maybe stuff with him, but I don't know that I necessarily knew who yeah. he was. And then I saw that movie and I was like, who is that guy? And that's when I like realized like, oh, this is, this is a big actor I didn't realize, guy? you know? Yeah. I was like 12. I was like 11. Yeah. I didn't really realize. And then I went yes. back and I was Edward like, oh, that's the guy in this movie. And, yeah, exactly. Edward that, well, he looks Ed a little different, Don though. Juan. When you're a kid, <laughs> you can't tell who's who exactly when they're in makeup. But yeah, no, that was an early anything memory. Anything you want about Johnny Depp, to me, he's always going to be the guy that got sucked into a bed in A Nightmare on Elm Street. This is true. To me, also, he's always going to be Mort Rainey from Secret Window. <laughs> oh, really? See, I used to watch reruns in the morning when I was getting ready. And so at first he was 21 Jump Street because I watched right, him on that. Go. That was my first yep. one. All right. Well, Robbie, we will see if we can make that happen. I am down for the concept. All righty then. Folks, if you want to be like Robbie, email us at Rotten Tomatoes, RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. That's right. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Email us and tell us what you think we should be covering, particularly if you are a fan of Hook. We need your videos, y'all. We want to compile them together so they can do this Hook episode as is meant to be. Whip out that iPhone or Android, if you're one of those people, and <laughs> film your face and tell us why you should why we should do Hook. We will compile those and put it up for that episode. Eric, sir, thank you so much for joining us. Tell folks where they can find you and what you're working on. Well, thank you so much for having me again. You guys are a blast. This is always fun. Um, and uh, you can find me on Pretty Much It. Uh, if you go on YouTube and look up Pretty Much It, that's probably the easiest way to find us. Um, you'll you'll find our Stranger Things 1, 2, and 3 videos. Depending on when this goes up, we might have a video up for Stranger Things 3.5, which is Hellboy. And then, of course, Stranger <laughs> Things 4 on the way. Can't wait. Oh, I love this. Also, since he's not letting this Hellboy thing go. He no, really is. Just you got to read between the lines. It's there. I will. I yeah. will. I'll check it out. Um, <laughs> so funny. Uh, I do have to ask uh, you though, since you are a man in the know and on all things TV and movie, do you have a recommendation that you would like to give our audience? Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. I should have thought of that ahead of time because last time I think I recommended maybe Cry Wolf. I, <laughs> I think so. Like. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'll recommend Secret Window. <laughs> Oh, okay, Secret okay. Window. If Very you cool. I just rewatched it recently. It's if, uh, it, it, I saw a funny review of it. This is a, it, it said this is a great movie for people who have never seen movies. <laughs> 
and it's because it's maybe a little predictable, but me again, me at 13 years old thought it was the most brilliant thing and it's is, still a fun movie. Is I, that it's, the it's, is that the Johnny Depp uh, Johnny Depp, John Turturro, yes, yeah, uh, Maria yes, Bell. It's it's yes. it's a good quick little movie based on a Stephen King story and so I'll I'll go with that just because it's again like we said, SEO, it's relevant right now. Technically. No, don't disagree with you on that one. Uh, I will just add this. Um, there's a video game called Don't Starve. I'm about to make it a huge part of my personality going forward. I just want to let everybody know that it is not related to TV or movies. But if you're a member of the Don't Starve fandom, come find me on Twitter. because Is it a I mobile have, game or? It's everything. It's on Switch. Oh. It's on Steam. It's a survival game. And you die very quickly. And like everyone hmm. else is playing Elder Scrolls. Elder Ring on my Steam yeah. right now, and I'm just over here and don't starve, making my camps and and milk and beefalo. Okay. Yeah, don't starve and don't starve don't together. Starve. Yeah, okay. it's 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 kind of addictive, but so is this podcast. So if you're gonna have addictions, <laughs> keep listening, keep telling us what you guys want to do. Eric, sir, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. And I want to let everyone know if you're listening to this. First of all, did you know that we have other podcasts that are coming out? Because that's right. We have another show, one of which I host called The After Show and another one that Mark hosts called Binge Battle. And both of them will now be uh, audio episodes that you guys will be able to listen to on our Rotten Tomatoes channels. That is The After Show and Binge Battle. The After Show is where we break down shows that are coming out and get folks to have a spoiler review of what happened, what didn't happen, and looking ahead to maybe see what happens next. And then Binge Battle. Mark, why don't you tell us what Binge Battle is about? Well, we take some beloved personalities from inside and outside the world of entertainment, and we talk about a particular show. Usually, it's a streaming series of some sort. Occasionally, we'll do a movie, and we take some topics. We have a fun debate about it. I award points, and it's just a celebration of whatever we're talking about. So it's a very fun show for people to listen to and very tough for me to decide who wins and who loses because I love everyone. <laughs> I do love this. All right. Well, for folks, please listen in. You can see that on our OTT channels and on our podcast channels. Again, that is After Show, which went live last week, and Binge Battle, which will be live tomorrow, 520. All right, folks. Next week, you all need to tune in for Mark. Dinosaurs. Like, even bigger ah! dinosaurs. Jurassic World. Jurassic oh, World. I really thought I you were doing the old movie Dinosaurs, man. I got excited. Oh, you mean oh, the TV show? Dinosaurs? What a great show. No, that movie with the, like, Alice or whatever the hell stupid movie that the ride is based on at Disney World in oh, Animal Kingdom. Oh, no. <laughs> there was I, a show. The show is great, though. Oh, there was a show. Okay, and that's right. I so forgot. Everybody do the dinosaurs. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. That, I thought you were all, doing Dinosaurs. Also... Dinosaur, one of the first black sitcoms on main television. Folks don't know that. That was a black TV show. Check out the okay. dinosaur's hair. Black TV show. We uh, might not even get to Jurassic World next week. We got. It sounds like we got a lot of stuff to talk about. I know. If there's shows about dinosaurs, we can do it. Anyway, that's it for us this week. Tune in for Jurassic World, where we break down how Dallas, how, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard was able to run in those shoes. We will be back, ladies and gentlemen, for next week on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. <laughs> See y'all then. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.